Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul-guided paths. I'm your host, Emily, from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. You know, you don't always get those big trial wins, but, you know, bond reductions, getting someone who was on probation, you know, from being revoked after they violated, you know, and get them some treatment instead of going to prison, they're going to treatment. You know, those I are like the things that, that you, those are the things that you do every single day. And, and those little wins boo you along. Hello, everyone. It's been a little while since I have released a podcast. There has been so much, so, so much going on in the world have you noticed? <laughs> and it's been necessary for me to take action and um, leave space for other voices to come forward. Yet, I, I am beginning to come up for, from air and between intense storms of donating and activism and protests and learning beginning to learn, really, I think it's going to take a little longer than the amount of time I've currently spent, all of the things that it is both a shame and a privilege that I simply don't know I don't know. And it's easy to sit back and, and do nothing, I think, for a lot of people. And it's also easier in social media to do nothing than to worry about doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing or can I post this or... Um, you know, what is the new normal going to look like? And honestly, I want to be part of shaping a new normal that is more inclusive and healthier. Um, and No Steps is essentially standing in support of the status quo. So I guess you could say that this is my way of encouraging listeners and friends to take an active role in creating a better world because it is truly possible to change both ourselves and our world. And if anything, this podcast and the interviewers here give real personal evidence to how change in a single lifetime is possible and can be carried out with grace and occasionally panache. So today's interview is my first male interviewee, which is exciting, and also an interview that I so look forward to sharing with you. I am talking to Christopher Schramm Esquire about a range of topics from how to pivot a career and move forward, as well as how to consciously question orders and ultimately having the bravery to step into a new career no matter what age and, and what's happened in your life prior to that moment. I met Chris through swing dancing in like 2006 or 7. I'm honestly not sure what year. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, and around that time frame, he became a very close friend to my husband, Patrick. He was there for Patrick when I was away at grad school. And uh, we were collectively there for Chris as he retired the Coast Guard, lost his wife in a battle with breast cancer and started law school all within a very short, like, five-year period. So a lot of life changes we've, we've seen for each other. Chris is now a public defender, which I would have never predicted as a job for him, but I am so delighted that he loves it so much. And from the outside, I think, I mean, maybe one of the reasons I would have never predicted it for him is mass media depicts public defenders in, like, two of the crappiest ways possible. 
either the public defender is essentially a philanthropist wanting to help people, but never really having what it takes to, you know, truly fight the high-powered, expensive attorneys or systems or whatever, or they're depicted as people who are preventing justice from being carried out by protecting guilty parties, or they're always that, like, creepy lawyer that helps the um, person get out of you know, paying the consequences for their behaviors, and then they go out and do it again, and the lawyer's culpable in that. So I often wonder why anyone would want to be part of the complex judicial system, knowing all the potential right and wrong that it's capable of doing. Yet when good people stay out of difficult situations because they want to avoid moral culpability, they're also doing harm by making it easier for abusers to hold power and to be in those systems and to take advantage. And so it's important that we have people who care in positions like this that matter. And Chris is certainly one of those people. Looking at our relationship, though, <laughs> from the position of assumptions, like the ones I've mentioned, and stereotypes, you might wonder how an art professor became friends with a career military man turned lawyer. And yet we both share an awareness of how we want to do good in our world and how we fit into overall systems. I remember sharing stories and bonding with Chris over my frustrations with teaching at a university and the administration and some of the hardships there. Um, and listening to Chris explained why he wanted to be a defender and talking about how he spent his life in the Coast Guard watching our waterways and preserving our freedoms and he wanted to spend the rest of his life protecting our rights uh, by protecting our right to a fair trial, which I think is pretty commendable. Now, this doesn't happen perfectly. It can't. I can't teach art perfectly. <laughs> I can't talk about life perfectly. It's just the way it is. And we could debate how our laws and their quote-unquote correctness, um, we could debate those topics. We could talk about all the privilege that occurs there too and the unfairness and the injustice that is carried out. But I hope that you can listen to this conversation between Chris and I and that you can see just one of the humans involved in the system and maybe also have some takeaways with how he talks about his life and his approaches to what he's been through on a human level. If you are listening to this podcast and you are an expert or researcher in any of the areas or roles or systems that we discuss and you would like to be interviewed, I would love to hear from you and host you as well. Please email me at emily at gettingintoit at gmail.com. My email will be in the show notes and let me know um, essentially what you'd like to share. Without any further uh, framing, I would love to introduce Chris and help you get to know him. Welcome, Chris Schramm, to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am so happy to have you here on this fine Friday night. Um, and for anyone listening, I am sitting relaxing on my porch, and Chris Schramm is sitting relaxing in his kitchen. So you might hear uh, the sounds of other people moving in our homes or my dogs barking, and we'll just hope that you roll with it. Uh, but back to this interview, can you start by telling folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Chris. Um, I currently live in Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> but I'm a transplant here. I grew up in New Jersey, 
and uh, I uh, was in the service for a, a long time, over 20 years, and I moved around and I wound up retiring here and I just wound up staying here. So now I'm a Kentuckian. And that's awesome. a little bit about me. Here we'll get into that's well, there's more, but that's that's a little bit. <laughs> I hope there's more than two sentences. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the reasons I thought it would be really cool to host you on this platform is because I think you sort of perfectly exemplify how to roll with life's changes. So I have mm-hmm. known you since you were in the Coast Guard and you had just freshly moved to Kentucky. But can you tell the audience maybe a little bit more of your backstory, like how you decided to join the Coast Guard, um, where that took you, and then how you pivoted to be in the current position that you're in now. And for those of you who don't know, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about it at the beginning. But Chris is a criminal defense lawyer working in Louisville, Kentucky now. That's right. So... um how did I go from the Coast Guard to where I am? And and so I, I joined the Coast Guard in 1989. And mostly because I was just kind of um, needing something to do. And I didn't really have a whole lot of direction. And so my father suggested it. And uh, it grew on me. It took me a while, but I got there. And, and I, I did. I enlisted in the Coast Guard. And I thought I would join for a few years and, and you know, take advantage of the GI Bill and all that and, and get out of the military. But um, I wound up really liking it. So after my first four-year tour, there was really no question I was going to stay and I was going to re-enlist, and, and I did. And so I, I eventually uh, made it, a, you know, I made it a career, and and I spent 22 years in the Coast Guard. So I retired, and and that was the end of that. And, and like you know, we, we mentioned, I, I, I was in Louisville when I retired, and there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, to get me there. But um, again, I was really looking for something to do, and um, oddly enough, I didn't really have a lot of marketable, what I would call marketable skills out of leaving the Coast Guard. Um, you know, I drove ships and boats a lot and, and it's just not really easy to get into that kind of work nor did I necessarily want to do that. So I was kind of had a little time on my hands and then I realized that, well, I did have the GI Bill and it was actually better now. Um, and so I looked at going to law school and, and I did that. I, I had finished my degree while I was in the service or worked on it mostly and, and I I nearly finished it and I got it done and I um, enrolled and applied to the University of Louisville Law School, not thinking any way in hell they're going to take me. I was 40 something years old and Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't necessarily the best student. I didn't have any really good academics to fall, you know, to to point to, but uh, you know, it's Louisville. So, and I looked like a nice guy. And, uh, and I was paid for because the, the, you know, my, they knew I was getting money because I was a veteran. So I had um, the benefits. So, I got accepted for whatever reason I did. And, and I, I finished law school and, and, and I, and I uh, joined the uh, public defender's office when I, uh, when I um, got out of law school. I a hundred percent think you might be selling yourself a little bit short when you say that you didn't come out of coast guard with any skills and we can kind of like circle back around to this, but I think that you have tons of negotiation skills from coast guard you probably have a lot of really great interpersonal skills, like just living that closely with other people and, and having to work with the same people over and over. You also, I bet, have a lot of leadership skills. And that was like, I definitely see those things as things that are like applicable in your current field, right? I, you're absolutely right, actually. What you said there was true. Those were, those, that's actually true about having this skill or that skill or you can do this or that. But as a practical matter, you're not, you're not going to get hired because you're a good leader. 
And so when I was still in the service and I would talk to some people and, and, you know, people outside the service who were, you know, businessmen or worked in a shop or a plant or something. And, and they would tell me, Oh yeah, you know, you got, you just tell me 20 years in the coast guard and you're an officer and you're going to, and you're going to get hired. You know, it doesn't matter. You're selling widgets or making widgets. It doesn't really matter because you, you they know that you know how to deal with, you know, leadership and management and stuff. Yeah. And so that's a great theory, but I did not find that to be the case in actual practice when you're, you know, what would you do? Well, I worked on boats and ships. Well, what do you want to work in my factory for? Because I don't need it. You know, I had people say, I would just hire a manager. I don't care if he ever stepped in a factory before. He's a good leader and a good manager. That's really what I need. But that that doesn't play out when you're actually looking for work. You yeah. actually have to know something. So what I do know, you know, is I know how to, you know, all those things you mentioned, but I know how to drive ships and boats. And that's a great skill. But it wasn't something that's, you know, I wasn't going to get into that. And I actually applied for a lot of jobs, which were similar to the ones I was doing and had done. And I still wasn't able to get, you know, it just, the, the opportunities weren't flowing in and it just wasn't working. And um, so I just, I went a different way. That's all. That's really awesome to hear you talk about. Is I, I feel like a lot of people get stuck in the, like, maybe I lost my job. Well, especially now during quarantine, um, you know, so what's next? And it sounds like what you're saying is that you tried a lot of things. You experienced a lot of no's or question marks along the way. And then you finally just got to a point where you're like, fuck it, I'm going back to school. Well, that's, that's pretty much what happened. And it wasn't a very long period of time. I mean, I had a few things happen in my life, which kind of um, led me to not work really hard towards, you know, I couldn't leave town. I had some things happening with my personal life. And so you know, I wasn't going to scour the, I, I, you know, I kind of did scour the country, but not that hard, you know, looking for mm-hmm. work, but, and I think it's not that I, I talked to a few people. I had a job interview or two, you know, working as a, for the Coast Guard as a civilian somewhere doing something and it would have been okay. You know, it would have been cool. Um, but like I said, I had, you know, some things came up and I went up, well, I need to stay in Louisville anyway. So there was really nothing available. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. I just kind of didn't really have anything else to do. When you talk about people who are you know, lost their job because the quarantine or anything that, that that's, that's the thing that terrifies me is that, and, and I've never had to experience this. And I've been, again, I'm fortunate for that because I've had steady work, but it just terrifies me. I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't have my job. I lost my job. And my father went through that. I saw that enough times where, you know, hope, hope you can make your mortgage payment, you know, next month. And, and so I was really worried about not having, you know, something. So I figured, well, let me go to law school because at least I can That'll give me something, you know, and <laughs> that'll um, give me something to do. <laughs> it'll give me something to do, and and uh, it, and also it'll, you know, it'll give me, you know, I can work for sure afterwards, and and so yeah, that's kind of how it, you know, fell in. It's always something I wanted to do, but it didn't really come up. I didn't think about it for the last twenty years. It was something that I wanted to do when I was younger, and it was kind of a dream I'd be a lawyer or whatever, and that was just something I wanted to do. So. I forgot about that, or just didn't think about that much, and didn't think it was really feasible. But then when it became feasible. I, I just, yeah, I took that opportunity to go. Yeah. So you say you see it, like you saw it as like an opportunity. You were like, this is the moment. All the, all the stuff is right for me to move forward here. Cause I think, I think sometimes people get stuck in the, you know, I'm too old or why would they accept me? Or maybe I got rejected from this one, but like I got accepted into this one. And I, I mean, for what, for what you said about UofL, I'm pretty sure their law school is fairly, like well respected no well it's a, it's not a bad law school it's you know it's not in the top tier or anything like that but um you know I thought it was a great school you can I don't, I don't know anything about it and you know I was never I'm not a real academic I didn't 
you know, through a whole lot of research into law schools. I went to the law school that was in my town. Yeah. And so, you know, but I had a good time there and they taught me well and I passed the bar exam on my first time. So, you know, I Holy can't, shit. Yeah, I can't, I can't say anything about it. it's a good law school or a bad law school. It was good. I had a good experience there. And, yeah. and so, you know, I don't, I don't get into all the rankings and, you know, it's, it's not this or Yale or Harvard or Stanford, but that, you know, that's not the point. The point was I needed a law degree and it was available to me right in my hometown. I didn't have to move and it's a good school. And I got a, I got a good law degree. I think I'm, I got a good lesson you know, yeah. a good education. And, and I passed the bar exam. So yeah, I, th- I think Louisville was good, but it, you know, I don't know if I would have, you know, if I was living in Boston, if I would have gotten into, um, you know, an, an Ivy league school, right. With my <laughs> academic background. So, but what did I know? You know, I, I haven't been in a school in 25 years, so it was just something, it was just an opportunity and, and yeah, everything was right. I, I got my degree. I had the time, you know, I had, I just retired from the coast guard. I had the GI bill was available. I had a place to live. Everything was fine. Um, in that regard. So yeah, it was a really good opportunity. And I, and I just, and I took it and I'm glad I did because, you know, that was, you know, um, I don't know, eight years ago or something, I started doing that. So, you know, here I am and, and I graduated five years ago and, and it's been a great time and I got it. So yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, you know, it was a roller coaster for sure. That's so cool. So what you're saying is that you had a dream of being a lawyer, like maybe when you were a kid or a, t- a teenager or something, and like for a little while that got paused while you had other experiences, like you did Coast Guard, um, you had a family unit that you moved around the U.S. And now like, and then later it came back when the opportunity arose to do it. And that's right. You know, it was just something, you know, I, I was a terrible student in high school. I mean, I was really, really terrible and um, had no self-control or no, no self-discipline, you know, to go to school. And I, and I went to college for a year and it was a bomb. <laughs> so like the thought of me going to law school, you know, I had to go finish my degree and then go into law school, which is never, you know, seven years of school. I was never going to do that. And I didn't. And which is why my father pointed me to the Coast Guard. But, you know, and then, so yeah, when, when I said that I thought I'd join the Coast Guard for four years and then go back to school, that was my original plan. But I was, you know, I was 19 when I was making that plan. And, you know, your plans change and things change. So when, you know, I was four years later, I didn't want to go back home and go back to school in New Jersey. I was, I was having a good time in, in, in Toledo, Ohio, in the Coast Guard, you know, driving boats and stuff and, and opportunities for, you know, it was, it was, and, it, and I was being, you know, I was doing a good job and I was having some success there. So yeah, absolutely. I stayed, that was where I stayed. But when, when, when that was, you know, that comes to an end too, that's, there's an inevitable winding down of your career, you know, and you, you sit there for a long time looking at it when you're approaching 20 and getting past 20 years and start thinking, what, what am I going to be doing next? Cause this is going to end eventually soon. And you have to have something. And I really didn't, unfortunately, but this, the, the law school opportunity was just the right, it was just the right thing. They had a nice law school. It was right in town. Um, you know, and yeah, U of L was great. Had a great time and learned a lot saw some new things that, which I've never seen, you know, with all my experience in the Coast Guard, going to school was a whole different world. And it was, you know, holy cow, here's a whole new set of experiences and hanging out with new people that had other experiences because, you know, when you're in the military, it's a very insular society. So you're, you know, everyone's kind of, you know, homogenous there and they might be from different places, but everyone acts the same at work, you know, for the most part. And, And so it was interesting for me to go out into an environment where I'm surrounded by really mostly younger people, you know, the, 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 the professors were more my, you know, age group and everything. And, um, 
but hanging out with all these students or just being around them, being surrounded by them and just hearing how they lived and they grew up and what their thoughts on the world were was a really interesting experience for me. And that continues to today because I felt I was kind of insulated in the Coast Guard, insulated from society in a way, even though I always lived in, in society, I, I never, I don't think I really experienced it the way a lot of people do until I went to law school. That's so interesting. I like never thought of it that way, but it was almost like you were like a Coast Guard monk. Like you retreated from society. You did this that, service to society. Is. And, and then, that's the way it is. And then after 20 years, they're just like, fly, butterfly, fly. <laughs> right. And it's, and I never even lived on a military base. You know, people who live on bases, I think are even more that way. But, oh, wow. but it, it, and it's not, you know, like I said, I lived in, I lived in town. I always, you know, I lived in town with people. I was surrounded by civilians. I've had civilian friends. I mm-hmm. met you guys, but I didn't, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I just didn't have an exposure to the, to the, to the variety to, and range, to the variety and range. Right. And, and, and really get to see what other people who haven't lived doing the job that I'm doing, you know, cause we feel very strongly about the job that we were doing and mm-hmm. the people who are doing it. And so to seal the rest of society, um, it was, it was just kind of interesting to me. It was just an eye opener. It was, you're right. I was kind of like, in a way I was plucked out of society for 20 years and then you get dropped back in. You know, yeah. I never really was, I was always around, but it's just, I don't know. It's just different. It's definitely a different mentality. Can you, can you give like the listeners maybe an example of someone that you met that you probably would have never had another reason to be friends with, except that you met them in law school or you've encountered them through the work that you do now? Oh, well, I'm up. Yeah. You're a social butterfly. Is this like a, is this like a four hour? Um, are you talking about friend wise or, um, or literally anything, any example, well, maybe even somebody you don't even like, like, can you just, can you just maybe talk about like something that you experienced where you were like, wow, this, I'm so grateful that I've experienced this, or this has been so eye opening for me. Every day is that way. Every single day. Every single day when you, because I'm dealing with a whole group of people that I never would have contact with before. Right. So I'm a public defender. I'm a criminal defense attorney. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking every day to people who are charged with crimes and by definition, because they're my clients, they're poor. And so this is a group of people that I just really didn't have exposure to. This is, you know, different than what I was talking about. You know, the, the, the law school kids I'm talking about every day. I'm, I'm dealing with people that, I never would have had contact with before in a positive way and for good or bad. And, you know, I have relationships with these people because I'm handling their cases and and they're very, very dependent on me doing my job well because it Mm -hmm. impacts their lives. So they're very interested in checking up on me and making sure that I'm doing their work in their case. Right. And so I get a lot of very personal interactions with these people and that impacts me every day, every single day. Yeah, I always forget that. Um, I guess because I see your like friends group, right? The your yeah. lawyer friends, you know. And Which I, I have always, like two. Don't, yeah. I don't even talk about my friends group. I don't, I don't have any friends. Whatever. <laughs> I have twenty one <laughs> friends, and I have you know. But yes, you have a very uh, well curated group of people that you enjoy interacting with. <laughs> but, yeah. I do. Well, you know, that's, 
you know, that's just the nature of, of, of you know, I'm kind of an, you know, you, you call me a social butterfly. I'm, I'm really more of an introvert by nature. So, and, and what I mean by that is I can really do a good one-on-one with people. You know, I can sit down with anybody and have a good one-on-one. I don't feel necessarily comfortable bouncing into a room full of people I don't know and being the life of the party. That's not who I am, but I can really talk to people and connect with them. And that's one of the skills I learned in the Coast Guard is that's a, that's a leadership skill and, and, and learning how to deal with people and figuring out what's important to them, all that stuff, you know? So I, I do, I get to use those skills every day. And I do, I do that with my clients because you have to deal with them and understand their issues and their lives. And I do it with the, um, I just, I do it with the junior attorneys in the office too, because a lot of these people are young and this is their first job and this is an overwhelming job. So, you know, anytime I can, you know, kind of reach out to them or they reach out to me and ask me questions because they're trying to figure out how to get through this. You know, you, you kind of learn how to talk to people that way. So yeah, that, that's every single day that happens. I, I as an artist, um, find it so interesting that you and I have had such like a close relationship and have been like, you know, in, in sort of a close friends group together. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear this or not, but Benny is struggling over here. Yeah. Sorry. Um, (laughs) sorry, sorry, listeners. (laughs) He's, he's okay. I swear. Um, but to me, the military, represents things that would be like my nightmare like to have orders and to wear a uniform and to have that like homogeny where everybody's kind of the same mm-hmm. uh, as someone who highly values like freedom and initiation and like speaking out and I I find you to be like a a surprising person like when you peel back that shell because I think from the outside I would look at that and be like whoa nope you know what I mean but then because you have that ability to connect and because you're willing to like talk about yourself and ask interesting questions of people I think that like you you just weren't what I was expecting I guess is what I'm trying to say so like I think that speaks to that skill in you and I'm kind of curious like a little bit going back into the military kind of things, but how has, and I'm going to reword the question from the original question that I had written for you. Um, but to some degree, I think like being in things like Coast Guard and the army help people to sort of deal with changes by giving them like the idea that it's okay to like surrender, right. To like receive an order and to accept it and just do it and not to like, stew on it you know or be mad about it or that sort of thing like an order is something you can't change it's something that you have to do right or like yeah Yeah. go ahead oh no no no. you go ahead well that's i mean that's the beginning that's what they teach you from day one of boot camp you have to you know surrender you do you 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 just do what they tell you to do and you don't ask a lot of questions right so and the reason is because you know, you know, and I was in the Coast Guard, which is, you know, we weren't fighting wars, but, you know, when you're fighting a war and this is what the military really is about, you know, it's to go fight wars and stuff and you're putting people in harm's way. And I did do that. I did put people in harm's way because we went out in the ocean and did things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that you need to trust your superiors and do what they tell you to do. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you're blind to obvious dangers and all these other things, okay? And so you're allowed to take self-care, right? But, you know, in the most extreme example of this, when you're in a trench in World War One, and the captain says over the top, you have to go over the top. You know the guy's shooting a machine gun at you. You're going to go. And that's the most extreme example of that. And it takes an enormous amount of surrender and loyalty and the sense of duty to do yep. that. And strength and courage. And strength and courage. And just blind, like, I know I'm going to die, but he's telling me I have to go. And, you know, when we look at, you know, the people who stormed the, the beaches in Normandy, we know they knew what was what was coming for them. And they went. And, and so that's just what it, that's why they do that, you know, and in, in my job, you know, you might be out there just, you know, we didn't go out in front of machine guns. Like I said, we weren't, it was not like that. I'm not trying yeah. to you know, pretend it was, but you know, when you get, you know, you're out there working on a deck somewhere and you got a boat swinging in the air or a tow that you're trying to pick up or pull somebody out of the water, you know, you need to know that, you know, this guy that's down on deck is doing your work for, you know, you're telling him what to do and he needs to trust you. And mm-hmm. so what it boils down to is, you know, you always get told to do stuff you don't want to do and you wind up doing it. And we're going to go out and do this mission and we don't like this mission, but we're going to do it. We're not going to complain about it. We're just going to go and do it. And so you kind of get used to doing that. And so when the governor says, Hey man, can you stay home and put on a mask? So, you know, that's what you need to be doing. We say, yeah, we can do that. Sure. I don't like it all the time, but we can do it. And so, yeah, you kind of have to do that. it helps in court too, because it's the same way. I look at the judge, like I look at the captain of the ship. When the judge gives you an order, you can argue with the judge to a point, you know, you can, you can do your butt, sir. Yeah. You know? But when the judge <laughs> rules, the judge rules. And, you can and do you, your butt, sir. <laughs> that's what you get. In the military, you get one butt, sir. You know, he tells you something stupid and you, you go, but sir. And he says, I don't care. Just do it. And you say, okay. And you do it. And so the same thing with the judge. And, and you can't <laughs> sit there and, and bitch and moan and cry. Your clients do. But I'm the lawyer, so I have to be there and, and say, yes, sir, we'll, we'll do that. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. And that's how it works. So, yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely, I think, it, it, you, you learn to roll with the punches. You know, you learn to deal with whatever situation comes up at you. You, you kind of try to figure it out and, and get through it the best way you can and without complaining. Because complaining doesn't really help. You know, we complain, but, you know. Yeah. But- I don't think I'm a cheery person all the time. I complain all day long about everything. I bitch about everything, but not to where it matters. You know, I bitch, you know, to my friends or to myself and just make jokes or, you know, complain about shit and fix things if I can. But, you know, but yeah. when it really, really matters, you know, you have to just do your mission, do your job and, and just do with what, do what you have to do. You, you know? I think what you're saying is you don't deny yourself the ability to have a reaction or an emotion related to something you don't want to do. You just don't dwell on it. And you also recognize the like inevitability of what you have to do. So you just do it. You just, you just, you do what you have to do. And it doesn't mean you're being, you know, I mean, you know, you could be, you know, people might consider that subservient or or, or some way, but you know, there's some things that are worth fighting over and some aren't, you know? And so when the government says, put a seatbelt on, are you going to get a ticket? I put my seatbelt on, you know, it doesn't Mm -hmm. hurt my feelings to do that. Um, You know, when they say they're going to close the bars, so people, you know, so we don't, you know, kill a hundred thousand people in the country, you know, okay. I can live without going to the bar for that reason. You know, I'm not, you know, I, under, I understand the, the overall goal and the overall mission and how this is affecting the mission. So, you know, and that, you know, in, in the service that goes down to the, you know, like I said, the guys going on the beach at Normandy or just the guy who's working in the scullery of the ship. And it's the worst job ever because it's 150 degrees in there. He's doing dishes for 160 people three times a day. And it's horrible. 
Mm-hmm. But if that guy's not doing his job or that lady is not doing her job in that in that role, you know, how how, how long are we going to last with with nobody cleaning the dishes? You know, the ship's not going to get along with a bunch of dirty dishes that no one's cleaning. So, you know, we need those people in that job, even though it's the crappiest job. We need those people to go do that. Otherwise, we're not going to get our mission done. You know, we can't even have clean dishes. So you have to, sorry, you have to go into scullery and everyone does it. You know, everyone does it, um, you know. You know, not not all the time. You know, eventually you get promoted. You don't have to. But <laughs> but when you're talking to that junior solar, you know, sailor, and he's out there, you know, hanging off the side of the ship, scraping rust, like you know, you, we got to do this, and this is what it what it is. And you don't complain about it, and you know, you move on. So that this is a, you know, I mean, life is like that. Just it's not just the military, but the, maybe the military trains you to you know, you know, deal with that stuff better. <laughs> no, like I, I think it does. I hundred percent think it does, but I'm really glad that you talked about, you know, getting your butt, sir <laughs> in there because yeah. it, it like making an analogy with the job that you currently have now, because I think even though you've been in these roles where, I mean, theoretically you could have like tuned out and just become a robot, right? Like I just do my orders, like, but you choose the thing that's cool about you, and I'm sure other people in the military and other people who are in law do this too, you're seeing yourself as part of a system. And even though you may not like your role, you do it because it upholds the wellness of the whole system, right? right. Like being a criminal defense attorney, they're like in movies, they're always the people that are like the bad guys, right? <laughs> like uh-huh. the guys that are going to make the like, bad guy in the movie not have to face the consequences of his actions and stuff and and someone has to do that like there has to be that can you talk a little bit about your philosophy like why you chose to go into criminal defense law and like well, can, how yeah. you see your role in that system now well, look, i will i, I want to touch on one thing you said though when you're talking about the butt sir because that seemed to like you like that and that that's a part of you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing the butt, sir, either getting one, you know, you're receiving the butt, sir, because you gave an order that someone below you doesn't want to do. Yeah. Or you're giving the butt, sir. Those are functions of leadership and management. And so a good, you know, we talk about leaders, a good leader will listen to his people. Yes. And he has to make a decision and it might be a decision you don't like, but I'll listen to what you have to say. You know, so you'll listen to the butt, sir, if you're the leader, if you're in charge. And, and even, you know, as a manager and leadership and management are different, which is a whole other topic we could do. But, you know, even as you know, when you're giving the butt, sir, sometimes I'm doing the butt, sir, because, you know, the, he's telling me to get something done. And I'm and I'm worried about my crew because they haven't slept in 12 hours. And I'll say, but, sir, you know, and let mm-hmm. them know, you know, so that's a, that's a function of leadership as well. And management, too, because you're managing your people, you're getting things done, you're taking care of them. Leadership is about doing the right thing all the time for your for your people. And, you know, and balancing that with the needs, because when you tell the captain, you know, but so they haven't slept in 12 hours, he may say, you know what, you're right, let him sleep. Or he may say, I hear you, man, but, you know, we got to get this done because his boat's sinking. So we have to go. Okay. You know, that, that's what I'm talking about. But those are functions of leadership and management, which I think, you know, not, I don't think that's a real skill set for a lawyer, um, but it does kind of help you get through things and deal with people, you know, because mm-hmm. you know how to deal with these people. But anyway, that's the, that was the, you know, the butt service. The, yeah, the, yeah, the little cap. Yeah. Yeah. So you wanted to know about what being a public defender or a criminal defense attorney. Yeah. Or like how you see your role. So you were talking about your role, like in the coast guard and, 
in the role of taking orders and how the um, dishwasher functions to serve the whole and how that keeps everybody going, right? Right. in your role as a criminal defender, I see a lot of similarities there in that you're part of our justice system and you're playing a very important like role for us. Can you talk a little bit about why you're a criminal lawyer? Yes. And, and yeah. And all, you know, this is kind of a broad statement, but I'll, I'll go on the record and say all lawyers do this to an extent, right? A lawyer's role is to preserve their client's rights and that can be in a civil matter, it can be in a commercial matter, or it can be in a, in, a, in a criminal matter, it can be a family court setting, you know, but all lawyers are, you know, the, the role of the lawyer is to preserve the client's rights in court. And when I say in court, you know, when you're doing a civil case, or if you're, if you're suing someone for a tort, you know, you're asserting in court to the government that your rights were injured by this other person, they owe you money because mm-hmm. of it. And so the lawyer is there to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, commercial lawyers do the same thing for their clients. So, you know, that's what lawyers do in my view. And as a criminal defense lawyer, it's just, you know, it just, it's just one area. It's, you know, I don't do family law. I don't do commercial law. I do criminal law. So my role is to um, really preserve my client's rights when he's being challenged by the government, you know, you know, the due process that they're going to put him through in order to take away his life, liberty or property. And he's entitled to due process before that happens. So my role is there to, to, or my job is to, you know, prevent them to doing that and preserve his rights. So when that happens, and, and especially now you can, you can argue that, like I just did, that it's all the same criminal, civil, commercial. Mm-hmm. I feel strongly about, I feel most strongly about the, the, the criminal side because the stakes are so high, you know, and, and when you're talking about, you know, all the way up to capital crimes where the, the government will take your life, a state sanctioned killing, you know, or if they're just going to fine you $50 for smoking marijuana, or if they're going to throw you in jail or prison for something, you know, that those are the highest stakes uh, an individual can have when the government throws you in jail or, or, or even, you know, goes to try to take your life from you. That's the highest stakes you can possibly have. If we don't have the protection that we've enjoyed for 240 years, mm-hmm. and you can argue that you know those protections wax and wane over time, even, but without those protections, that's the country that you worry about the police coming in to your door and kicking the door in without a probable cause, and and you know without getting into a whole other topic of you know who's enjoying those particular rights we all as American citizens and even people who are here as non-citizens enjoy those rights. And, and that, again, that's a whole other topic we can do, but my role and what I feel my role is and why this job is important is because people like who are doing my job, do what I do is why we have the rights of, of, you know, that's why we're enjoying the rights that they set out in, in the constitution and the bill of rights 240 years ago. You know, they wrote those things down for a reason you know, because of the things that they were going through. And these are the, the things, the concerns that, that those people had, that our, found, our founders had. And at the time, it was the English government that was doing it to them. And so they wrote it in, they designed the government so it wouldn't be able to do that. And so, you know, without lawyers going and arguing in court and the respect for the law and respect for the court rulings, which is why I say yes, judge, when he gives me a ruling, because we do respect the judiciary when the judge rules that's it. You can appeal it, but you don't sit there and get into an argument with them. You respect the ruling. 
And without that inherent, you know, implicit respect, we lose, you know, we're going to lose the, the, the power of the courts to, to protect us when, when, when they're able to. And without us able to challenge the things that the government does, and we can get into the specifics, you know, of, you know, the, the, the reasons to arrest someone and the evidentiary rules that, you know, that they can admit it trial and the rights that you have, you know, to remain silent and, and all those things, you know, without protecting those rights, you won't have them. And so without those lawyers, you know, without the lawyer doing it, who's going to do that? And, and that's why I do what I do. And then, you know, to drill down further, I do it as a public defender because I just want to be a public defender because I think that people who are poor also need, you know, a, a high level of advocacy. And they need people who, who really give a damn and want to do it and they can't pay for it because they, they need it too. Because if we don't give it to them, then none mm-hmm. of us are going to have it. And so that's why I do, you know, that's why I'm a lawyer. That's why I'm a criminal defense lawyer. And that's why I'm a public defender, you know, kind of drilling down in, into those levels of, of why I do what I do. But I think it is important for the system. You know, you, you know, there, there are countries, you know, that you don't have, you know, the right to walk down the street without being harassed by the police for no reason. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, again, we can argue about whether we're doing that well here or not, yeah. but, you ha- but you have the right to here. And at least you have the right to protest it. And again, we can argue about whether we're doing it well or not. But you have the right to, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, what I'm reading about in China and Hong Kong. And you don't have the right to protest there. And, and there's yeah. a lot of places you don't have the right even to protest to criticize the government or the government will, you know, will throw you in jail for criticizing them. And that doesn't happen here. And that doesn't happen here because the Bill of Rights said it's not going to happen here. And lawyers have made it, you know, that way for 240 years. That's why it doesn't happen here. So our judiciary system has been sort of like the legs of the table for our our rights and the freedoms that we currently enjoy. Or that at least in writing, there is the idea that we should or could be enjoying them. Well, and and not, you know, and not just in writing, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we could be doing better and there's a lot of failures, but there's also a lot of successes. Yeah. And it takes time. And it's, you know, when you're talking about a country of 100 million, 200 million, 300 million people, these things are going to take time. But yes, the, the, the judiciary, you know, as a, as a co-legal branch, you know, they're the arbiters. They're the ones that tell you what the law is. And they're, they're supposed to be the neutral party. Again, people are people. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not claiming that it's a perfect system. I might argue, I might actually argue it's a perfect system without being perfectly executed. But when, you know, the Constitution doesn't say we're perfect. It says Mm -hmm. in order to establish a more perfect union, Mm -hmm. a more perfect union. So we're always from day one, when the Constitution was ratified till today and 100 years from now, we will be evolving and working towards being a more perfect union. And so, you know, yeah. Oh, I like that, too, because the laws need to change as the needs of the people need to change. The laws change, you know, this, that, that's, that's some, there's some pretty good theoretical stuff. And this is why I said I wasn't a great academic, but I, I really enjoyed some of these conversations in law school that, you know, the, a way to look at it is that the rights are there because the Constitution says they're there. But, you know, the, the, but the words are a little bit vague here and there, you know, and so... Well, so it's up to the ju- it's up to the ju- ju- but it's up to the, to the judges the ju- 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 excuse me I'm gonna stutter this word a little bit the judiciary it, it's up to them to kind of reveal what the law is in any given circumstance because you know every little fact every little fact changes it and this well what about this and what about that and 
you know, he said this, he didn't say that, he said it to this person, but not that person. And then the law gets revealed through these rulings. And, and so, you know, any, any third year law student can explain this as well as I am, but it was just, this is kind of the things that I learned in law school and what I took away from it and, you know, what I like about it. So, you know, you don't want me writing your family will, you know, your estate plan or anything like that, but, um, or suing your, your neighbor over a fence line contract, but, um, mm-hmm. You know, but, um, you know, if, it, if the police come in with a warrant or not a warrant or they stop you, yeah, I'd like to talk about that with you and, and see, you know, why they pull you over? What were you doing? You know, and, and what has what the court said about that? And, and let's see what the court has to say about this now, you know, based on these facts. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting like that. And, 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 I, and it takes, you know, it's not just a formula where it's just the system and everyone just gets rolled through. They, they try to make it that way, unfortunately. But you know, a lawyer is there to work each case because each case fact is different. And so the law is applied differently, you know, in, in, in how, you know, in, in, in what the facts reveal. So, yeah, it, I could go on. <laughs> yeah, no, the law is like, I think, I mean, the law is a concept and an art as much as it is sort of like a a law like a like a fact or like a it's, rule it's, right it's just, it's as much art as it is science absolutely yes yeah absolutely and that like is kind of beautiful because it all centers around a very grand idea of like justice right that's right and so it, it's also really interesting to me too and i think some of my listeners just because this is a little more of like a, a spirituality or like life progressions kind of podcast might be interested in concepts and theories of like sacred masculine versus sacred feminine. But one of the roles assigned to not assigned to, but expressed by sacred masculine is the idea of like protecting and also like the idea of law. And I think like, if you kind of look at your life, you sort of embody all of that, but you have this like beautiful thread of awareness of where you are and where you fit into the system and like a willingness to both like self assess, but also like an ability to also do hard jobs. Like I said, I would not be able to be (laughs) taking orders on a boat. And I don't know that I could be a criminal defense attorney, but I'm so glad that there are people out there that can. So yeah, thank you for that. (laughs) It's fun. fun. Thank you. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very worthwhile. It's just, it's very fulfilling. And, um, you know, the Coast Guard was as well. And, you know, one other thing, this is another kind of thing that I realized after the fact was I've never really had a job with it where I had a profit motive. You know, I was in the military, so they just gave me the work and I'm in a public defender's office. So they just give me the work. I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not a really good businessman, you know, so I'd rather um, just do the work. And so (laughs) I don't have to worry about, you know, the revenue coming in and the expenses. And and I know know, I'm a government worker. So in that way I do, you know, of course I'm, you know, I'm, you know, it's not that you're, you're, just blowing money away, but I'm not out there hustling, making commercials, you know, to get business. And I never did in the Coast Guard either. You know, I had, you know, I got my work and, and get my salary and I'm happy to do that. So it was fun. Oh my God. What are those commercials? Tony, the heavy hitter or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You crack up over those. Like yes. when you watch them, are you just yes. like, I'm so glad I don't have to debase myself. <laughs> I wouldn't do those commercials and people do them and I get it and it's fine and, and everything. And sometimes they're funny, but yes, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Um, you know, putting you know, yourself out there like honestly, that. Yeah. Like, I cannot picture you doing that. The only like no. universe that I could picture you doing that in is like a spoof where you and Patrick are doing something ridiculous together. Yeah. <laughs> but 
Uh, like speaking of just the, having the awareness to know that you're like, I don't want to engage in that kind of like hustle. I want to be part of the like justice system and I want to serve those who are less fortunate. I'm kind of curious how like how moving as frequently as you've ha- had to move and is changing like life roles in a big way, like Coast Guard to this, have um, sort of influenced your sense of self? Like, for example, did being in certain cities give you certain passions or did you, what did you pick up along this journey that maybe you're surprised by or that, that have become like a core part of who you are in your life? I think it's what we've been talking about, that I care about this stuff. And I kind of realized it, you know? And once I realized that I was okay with that. And so I just went with it. And so, you know, as far as moving goes and stuff, I had, you know, I moved when I was in the service, but not since. So as far as moving goes, no, I'm sorry Oh, that. Hannah, baby. Yeah, she's crazy. Um, as far as moving goes, it was an opportunity just to try different places and move around the country a little bit. And put it into this. It was an opportunity to just see different things and, and, and move around the country while still enjoying the same employer. You know, I would, when I moved into a different country I did, or a different city, I would be in a place where I didn't know, but it was the place I wanted to be. It was near the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a job, you know, and I had money and I knew I wasn't worried about my job being lost and making bills. And I had, they paid for my travel, you know, all that stuff. So that was easy um, because I was still, you know, you go to work with nobody, you know, but they're all wearing the same uniform. So that was really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just about doing the job. And I was really kind of, um, you know, just ex- excited about my career and just having fun with it. And so I just went along with it. Um, and so, yeah, things changed. You know, I retired and then, you know, I went to law school. So, yeah, everything really changed. And, and you know, so now I really haven't moved in, in 10 years. And um, although I've moved and not, you know, out of the city and, and I'm, I'm kind of a Louisvillian now, which was really never my plan growing up. <laughs> but, I mean, when I'm growing up in New Jersey, I never thought I was, you know, if you told me Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> I just, I wouldn't have put money on that. So, you know, but I love it here and, and we're having a good time and I'm married and, and, and my wife is not from here and she moved here because of, she liked Louisville too and I was here. And so, you know, so things are really good in that way. And, and, and we're having a good time and I like what I do and she likes what she does. And we're having fun. So, you know, um, yeah, it's everything we talked about. It's, 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 it's really why I do what I do. And because I just, you know, I just want to have that feeling about what I do every day. You know, I just want it to be worthwhile. Um, when yeah. I'm doing something worthwhile. And so, you know, you lose a lot, you know, when you're a criminal defense attorney, whether you're a public defender or not, you lose a lot. Um, but the wins you make are really what gets you through the day because you can have a, you know, a win is just, it could be just getting someone's bond lowered, you know, so they can get out of jail today, you know, mm-hmm. and they're still going to, you know, even if they got a really bad case and they still might go to prison eventually, but you got them out of jail today, you know, and, and, and they're really happy or you help them out with something or, you know, or you got them a good deal, you know, you got, you got charges amended down or you win a trial, you know, all of those things, you know, you don't always get those big trial wins, but you know, bond reductions, getting someone who was on probation, you know, from being revoked after they violated, you know, and get them some treatment instead of going to prison to go into treatment. You know, those I are like the things that, that you, those are the things that you do every single day. And, and those little wins boo you along 
um, and, and keep you, you know, it's like the last shot of golf and you have a really crappy golf game and that last, that 18 hole boy, you just nail it. And that brings you back, you know? So, you know, those wins bring you back and, you know, you get a client just to thank you. Thank you so much for helping me. And, and that, you know, that feels really good. So, that, you know, that's, that's what keeps you going. And that's what I like about it. And that's, you know, it was the same thing in the Coast Guard. You know, you pick people up out of the water, you, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you're always helping somebody out with something. It's not a bad place to be. Yeah. And, and you have be. those moments where you're like, I made a positive effect on the world. And so I feel good about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I, yeah. Yeah. I love, love, love that so much. Last question that okay. I have for you, um, and it's sort of a two-part question, but what type of advice would you give people who are maybe facing career pivots during Oof. this time? And how would you recommend that they center themselves during the change? And maybe a great bit of advice that I think you're perfectly positioned to give is like how to just finally step into the idea of like, yeah, I'm 45, I'm going back to school, I'm going to law school with all these 20 year olds like how do you just move past that get over it and do it well i mean that's listen when you're 45 that's kind of easy actually because you you know you may be hesitant about what you're about to do but you don't really care what people think anymore too much you know you're like i'm just gonna do it <laughs> and stuff yeah I mean, as far as transitioning you know that's that's, it, that's a tough one because it's, it's pretty fact specific i feel that i was pretty lucky i feel a lot of things kind of fell into place for me at the right time and i, and I took advantage of it but I guess my advice would be, would be if, if the opportunity is there, take advantage of it. Just do something. Don't be, you know, don't just do something. You know, yeah. if you want, if you, if you see it, you know, don't, and I know that, you know, it's hard to say this because maybe you don't have the opportunity. Maybe you don't have those resources and things to do, to make things happen. But if, if the opportunities arise, don't be afraid to do stuff, man. Just try it. And, uh, you know, most of the time, people survive things. So, you know, you're not going to die at the end of it. And just, you know, never, and I'm not, you know, it's, it's very kind of broad, but um, if you need to try something, you can figure out that people did it before you, they survived and you might survive and it might work out for you. So if you have an opportunity, if you have an option, Hey, I could go do this and pick this job up and maybe I'll try it. Yeah. Jump on it, you know, jump on those opportunities when they arise. So that's it. Don't be, don't be so afraid. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for to do an interview with me. Um, if listeners have any questions or want to reach out, I'll just have them contact me at emily at getting into it at gmail.com and I'll forward any questions they might have along to you. But I just, again, wanted to express my deep gratitude and and enjoyment of you as a friend and also a podcast guest. Thank you. Likewise. And the pleasure was all mine. So thanks for having me. Awesome. What an incredible and interesting life path Chris has had. And how cool is it to really see oneself in service to the community in terms of one's job and the type of job that one would choose to do. So, so, so cool. Such a beautiful story. If you are listening to this episode and you feel inspired maybe to learn a little bit more about the judicial system 
or any of the themes that I mentioned or that Chris and I sort of touched on but didn't quite get into because they're not quite in the purview of what this podcast is about. I have links in the show notes uh, for reading on activism and allyship in case that is something that you are interested in. It is certainly something that I do in my life and would encourage anyone else to engage with as well. So Again, thank you, Chris, for sharing your story. Listener, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to reach out to me. And please like, um, subscribe, rate, and review the show. It helps us get seen. You have my eternal gratitude. And I hope you have an amazing day. Mm -hmm.